This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk about retail, business, and all things related to the hot tub industry. I'm Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. And I'm Jeff Bailey, owner of Spring Dance Hot Tubs in Philadelphia. This episode of the Spa Retailer Podcast is brought to you by Marquee. Our guest on the podcast today is David Isaacs, the owner of Isaacs Pools and Spas in Johnson City, Tennessee. David was a really good sport. We had all kinds of technical issues recording, which meant that Jeff had a hard time chiming in and we even dropped him off the call toward the end. But that doesn't take away from David's incredible story of taking over the family business. I hope you enjoy it. Today on the podcast, we have David Isaacs, and you may recognize him from the magazine. He's been in there a couple times this year. We featured his new store, Bullfrog Spas of Tri-Cities in Johnson City, Tennessee, earlier this year. And then he's also featured as one of our retail stars this year. So congratulations on that, David. Thank you. He's been a great resource for us this year. And so we wanted to talk to him about a couple things, about his expansion and adding this new store, and then also... Uh, he's kind of a big believer in experiential retail, and so we wanted to talk to him about what that looks like and how he went all in with that in his his new Bullfrog store there in Tennessee. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for, for being on with us. Dave, in another life, I used to go down through Johnson, Tennessee twice a year for about six, seven years. I had a very good friend that lived in uh, Bakersville, Bakersville, North Carolina, and the only way to get there was really kind of dropping in through Johnson City and then um, going in the back way. So I'd come down 81 and go through that area. Yep. That's the way to it. Have you ever uh, been there, Megan? I haven't spent hardly any time in that part of the country. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like the restaurant Mecca. Like every restaurant you can think of is in Johnson City, Tennessee. Am I, am I, I'm not exaggerating. Am I? No, that's exactly right. Is it a big trucking hub, Johnson City? I feel like when I think of it, I and I think it's maybe from like a country song that I think this. <laughs> so I don't know if that's very accurate, but is it kind of a hub for a lot of trucking and shipping and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think you're thinking about the Travis Tritt song, uh, the Bonnie and Clyde and stopped at a truck stop in Johnson City, Tennessee. Maybe that's what I'm it is. I'm not sure if I've ever known of one that's actually here. Oh, really? Darius, Darius Rutgers talks about Johnson City. Well, <laughs> yeah. it, it is a bit of a central hub given the 81 and 26 cross here. And so uh, quite a bit of shipping moves through here. Okay. And not just that, it's um, East Tennessee State University is there, and that school's only gotten bigger over the years, right? Correct. You know, the biggest university uh, here is East Tennessee State University. And the last time I checked, it seems like there were 15,000. Uh, And then we also have Eastman Chemical Company, which is in Kingsport, and in and of itself is the size of a city. And those are the two real kind of big players here that make up our area. Well, and then twice a year you have that little race that comes into town, right, that NASCAR? Bristol Motor Speedway, which is uh, maybe about 10 minutes from my store here on the same road. You know, Megan, when you're driving that back way and you drive past, you're like driving in this mountainous area. And then all of a sudden you come across, it literally looks like a UFO landed in the middle of the mountains there. And it's this racetrack, which is a quarter mile. I think it's the only quarter mile track on the, if I'm not mistaken. I know Richmond's kind of small, but it's a really, really cool, really cool place. It's very, very different. Really in the middle of nowhere. It's awesome. We have a lot of people moving here who come through as you do. Uh, on occasion, and um, they're moving here from Illinois, Nevada, Southern California, 
uh, from all over the place. And we have a lot of folks that move from New York down to Southern Florida to find something warmer and they come halfway back and we call them snowbirds or halfbackers. They, <laughs> they, they settle the Western Carolinas and Eastern Tennessee. And we're finding that a lot of those folks are coming here and they are ready to buy the products we sell. And so it's been quite interesting. That is interesting. That sounds like it would be the perfect hot tub demographic then. It's exactly right because they're generally retiring. And um, I always ask what brought you here. And the only answer I get from um, from all of them is that it was just beautiful and breathtaking when they come through. And they just thought it'd be a great place to retire. And of course, it also helps out that Tennessee has no in, uh, state income tax. So that, that, that may be the final answer for most people when they're deciding Carolina or Tennessee. That would help. <laughs> it definitely does. Could you just give us a little bit of your industry background? And your parents officially got this company started back in the day, right? Yeah. So they started in 1978 as contractors and they had a pool builder do a pool for them. They weren't very happy. So they run them off and finished it. And that's what started that. In 1989, my dad acquired the company and uh, I was born in 78 when the business was born. So that's the time from which I remember it the most. And I've worked in it my whole life. Uh, in 02, he passed away at the age of 45. It was pretty sudden. And um, wow. I was in school at the time because I did not want to be in this business. I reiterate that anytime I'm asked about it because it was the family business and I wanted to go to college, get out. And so that's what I was doing. He passed away and um, my brothers were going to take it over. It just didn't work out. So when I come back uh, from Florida, from studying at Florida State University, um, it was kind of a mess. So I just agreed to take it over with my mom. Uh, and pretty much the rest of it is history. Uh, you know, we took it on as 50-50 partners. The brothers have been out since 08. And then um, in 2016, she retired. And that's the point at which I took 100% ownership. And then I opened the Bullfrog store a little over a year ago. And that's where we are today. What changes from, you know, from saying I 100% don't want to be in this business to now not only being a part owner, but being the owner and expanding and, and doing all of those things? What changes in your mindset from the no to the yes? Well, I always say it was kind of a circuitous and convoluted series of events that led to it, uh, one of which was the passing of my father. And, you know, I was actually in the middle of graduate school at the time. That was 2002. And I went on back to complete some more school. And in 2004, when I come back to uh, work on, you know, the, to finish up my work for the, for the program I was in, I was going to do my research here in this area. I just realized how bad it was. My brothers had gotten onto drugs and uh, my dad's name was being drugged through the mud because of the arrest. And it was a, I don't know, there was a point that I thought if we want to rectify the Isaac's name and kind of mm -hmm. send my mom off into a dignified retirement because at this point they had paid nothing in you got to imagine this is a very small mom pop operation with the kids and the dad and the mom uh, building in-ground pools and maybe selling a spa here and there uh, and really didn't have a full retail store it was actually just a little warehouse over in the middle of nowhere in Elizabethan Tennessee uh, it was just that that kind of drove me to say, you know, let's let's take over, you know, let's try to get out of the hole they had dug. And we can only best estimate that at about 500000 in the hole when I took over. We're talking about accounts payable, not mm -hmm. not long-term debt. And so we spent the better part of the next maybe five years, one pull at a time, crawling out of the mess. And we had a lot of people who were very helpful and instrumental in that. And so that's kind of how that happened. And I had no idea what I was committing to. I will admit that it took the better part of 10 years to fully recover. And I have on occasion 
referred to that time as the dark ages, as far as when I tell my own story, because it was not easy. So that would have encompassed the time period from like 2006 or so up to about 2016. In the middle of that, of course, you have a a recession and and all of those things to contend with as well. It's not exactly how you want to get started in a business, that's for sure. That's exactly right. And then the recession was very interesting because in in our market, a new buyer showed up. And since we weren't necessarily selling spas, the uh, high-end in-ground pool person showed up with a ton of cash, and I don't know where they came from, but we were very thankful for them. So we were building half the pools, but our revenue didn't change. And it was actually during the recession I was able to relocate our building uh, in 2011 to where it's at now. And so we were actually having, I had my eye post-recession, and we were making our moves during the recession. It had to have been, I mean, you kind of, alluded to it already, it had to have been incredibly stressful and personally challenging to, to come in and take over and kind of have all of that obligation on you. But are you at a point now where you feel like you actually enjoy being in the business and it's something that you <laughs> you want to do and continue going forward? I, I do speak about this where there has been a point maybe about two years ago, maybe three, where I kind of reconciled myself with this fact that I own a pool store Mm -hmm. and now that it's doing quite well. And I I see that you can influence people and be a difference maker in the world, no matter what, even owning a pool company, uh, it kind of became something with which I was fine. And I now enjoy it. It's still the challenge. We all know it to be, uh, it's still seasonal given that I'm in East Tennessee. So the hot tub business is what it is and there's the pool business, but I most certainly reconciled myself with it. And now that I see it doing what it's doing, you have to ask yourself sometimes if if it is not exactly the purpose for which you were made. You start asking those kinds of questions if you're like me. And I've kind of been okay with it. And so uh, I've, I've hitched my wagon here. I'm fully committed. So from this point on, I look at riding it on out uh, to the end. I'm only 41 at this point, so there's still some time. When you were in college and grad school, what was your intended career supposed to be? Well, you know what happens when you're through that whole process. It changes a few times. Of course. I'm, I'm through it. So it was um, to be an English teacher. So I completed that degree. And then it was um, on to philosophy and religion and ethics. And so I was going to become a professor. And actually, I had accomplished that and uh, was actually onto the dissertation and was actually teaching at Florida State Tallahassee Community College. And when I come back home and had to let that go for the business, which is for me, the only thing I've ever had to give up on. Uh, I taught as an adjunct here to make sure I didn't let go of all that time. But it's one of your questions about what I would do if I were not doing this. And that is a very clear uh, teaching. Sure. That, that's yeah. the answer for me. So that's what I was going to do. And I, when my dad passed away, you know, I guess I just want to make a difference in people's worlds. And teaching is kind of an obvious choice. When you're young and don't know what else to pick. I watched the funeral and the people my dad had reached and touched in his career. And I thought, you know, you can you can pull this off and and make a difference in people's worlds, no matter what you're doing. You just have to have the right mindset. So I just happen to be doing it through a pool company. When you're young and in college in that age, you kind of have, at least I know I did, you kind of want to save the world in a way. (laughs) You know, you kind of, and how you see that happening in your mind at that age is totally different than how it is in reality. And like you said, you get into a business and I kind of had the same experience where I'm like, I'm writing for about swimming pools and hot tubs. I thought I was going to be, you know, a journalist and writing these really important stories. And you get to the point where you realize that you are touching people and helping people and doing some good in the world. Kind of like you said, no matter where you're at and what you're doing, it's it's really about your mindset. And so I, I can I can 100% relate to that feeling. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. 
you got the company out of debt and you started to do well. How did you get into, you said at the time when you got started there, it was mostly a warehouse. When did you move into retail and, and really get into the hot tub side of the business then? It was exactly Halloween of 2011. But up to that point, I knew we would want to move the store because we we worked, you know, 45, 50 minutes away from that location. And I thought we really need to have this in a much more central location more like a retail store. So once I found the building, it took me about a year and a half. I said, I'll know it when I see it, found it. I was shocked at the price because I had driven by these buildings my whole life and did not know what they were charging for them. uh, We ended up making that move over that year. And in October, we built the store out just a little bit, but we shut down Elizabeth and opened in Johnson City right at the end of October of 11. And that was the first time, Megan and Jeff, that I I actually even realized that I was a retailer or going to be a retailer. I thought we already were. It's part of those kind of delusions or illusions you have when you're just in the business and working in the business. You have no idea how to step outside yourself or your own world and look back at it. You know what I mean? Like in an analytical way. So it hit me like a ton of bricks when I moved in. I had no racking, no shelving. (laughs) I had had (laughs) 4,000 square feet of space now to put stuff. Fortunately, uh, well, unfortunately, unfortunately, Borders Bookstore had just gone out of business and I was able to um, buy a bunch of the shelving we had at the time and and stuff with which to merchandise from them in Knoxville and bring it up here for, I think, about thirty five hundred bucks or four thousand bucks. But so that's when that happened. And that's when I realized I knew absolutely nothing about retailing. I knew how to build pools and work in the business, but not how to be a retailer. Hey, when you let's go back to what you just said about you had you had no idea about the price. Was that was that a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, it was a bad thing. I mean, we're small timers. Our building was maybe worth eighty thousand dollars, and we actually built it ourselves. I remember doing it. It was a you know one of those post steel buildings over here. You know, you get up into the three quarter million to million dollar range ah. for buildings. I, I just never dreamed cost that much. So when that hit me, I'm I'm of the mindset. If I have an $80,000 building, is it even possible for me to go ask for a loan this big? Like it was completely out of my context. That would definitely be some sticker shock for sure. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What did you do to learn how to be a retailer then? You got set up, you got your shelves that you're shelving in, and then kind of what did you do next? You know, my mom has always been a great decorator and, and, and knows how to fix stuff up nice. And so we just did the best we could do. And we just started hanging stuff on shelves. We, we put a few above grounds out there in the space and put some chemicals here towards the back. And then uh, that's when we actually started thinking about how we could sell hot tubs now. And uh, we actually brought in a distribution hot tub, the Coleman Spa. And put about seven or eight of those on the floor. I actually built a little four foot by eight foot pool in the corner and put a little patio paver around it, made like a little area you could walk into. And uh, we just did the best we could do. And ultimately, you know, it looked pretty nice, but nothing like, you know, what I have now. And then from there, I just, you know, you have to start with knowing what you don't know and reaching out to really um, a nice network of people that are in our industry and also outside of our industry and listen to what smart people have to tell you and also have the gumption to implement it. And I think that's where that's where I think I've been different from some people. I have never had a problem coming back and implementing, uh, <laughs> even if it's hard, but I've done it. Obviously, it went well, and the hot tubs have become become a big enough part of your business that you have now expanded and have a, a separate hot tub-only bullfrog store. You carry, I think, hot spring in your, in your main location, right? That's correct. And then you'd have the new bullfrog store that you opened, you said, about a year ago. So hot tubs have become a pretty big part of your business then. That's right. As soon as I saw what it was like to sell them, it immediately brought to my mind that we really need to find a way to make money here and not as much in the construction part. 
And so we sold the Coleman's and I, I realized very quickly that there's nothing wrong with that product and how you get it. It was more about, you need the support of a manufacturer. And this is something people would have already known, you know, a long time ago, but I did not. And so that was whenever one of our guys had been in this business over 20 something years and worked for one of the hot spring dealers in this area, but that owner passed away. He said, Dave, why don't you call Watkins? And when we did, they come over and wanted to present to us Caldera. I'd never even heard of the brand, but that was our first step into a, to a major manufacturer. Uh, and so we brought the Calderas on, got rid of the Coleman. And I, I would say that was our first step into becoming hot tub dealers of, of, a, you know, of a brand like that. How did you decide to expand into the Bullfrog line then? Well, at that time in 2012, I think, or 13, this happened pretty quick after we moved in. There wasn't a lot of flash to the spas and we were noticing people saying that, that they would look at another brand and say they're a little nicer looking. Uh, you know, that's, that is what it is. So at the time, the Bullfrogs literally had a little more flashy look to them. And the truth is, Megan, I didn't even make that decision. I was out building pools and my mom and um, my salesman at the time, which was her new husband after she remarried, uh, they kind of made that decision. So I, I, that's the rationale they had, and I didn't bucket at all, but that's how they got put on the floor. And they became kind of um, a two or three or three or four spas in the corner as an alternative to our main brand of Caldera. And that's how that came about. Sure. I think that happens a lot of times when people bring in Bullfrog. They have a main line, but the Bullfrog line is pretty different. I mean, with the jetpacks and everything, it has a, a really unique story in the hot tub industry. And so it seems like a lot of people will bring them on as kind of a secondary line, and that's how they get started with them. Right. That's a, and, and it's exactly how the RSM at the time, who's still with them and who has done an amazing job as far as I'm concerned, that's how he was getting into market. Uh, he would go because most people, if they have hot spring and uh, other brands or jacuzzi, they're happy with that. And that's how he did it. He said, let us allow you to present a customer with an alternate, uh, an alternate way of looking at hot tubs. And so, you know, maybe you'd have a traditional approach here and then their approach here. And it kind of worked pretty good. And then then that's whenever the switch happened with Hot Spring and we realized telling two stories on one floor was being was very difficult. And that's when you guys made the decision to expand to a whole new Bullfrog-only location then, right? Yeah. And six, uh, right at the end of 15, uh, Watkins had contacted us. And we had, uh, every year, we had grown the amount of spas we were selling. And um, they said, you're doing a great job at the Caldera. We really want to uh, shake up your market, move it to another dealer. And we want to bring Hot Spring to Johnson City in your store. And I'm going to tell you, at the time, I couldn't even have listed one Hot Spring model. I know that might be hard for some people to believe. But <laughs> I, I didn't even know what the jet setter was. And when we actually sat those on the floor that December and became a Hot Spring dealer, I was looking across my floor. And this was a pretty tough thing for me now that I had learned Caldera, we were selling them. And I, I couldn't even identify one model on the floor. But that's what happened in 16. And so from 16 to 17, and then 17 a little bit more into there. I now had Bullfrog on the floor with Hot Spring who actually did have some um, NXT spas that didn't have wood in them. And all of a sudden I was in these telling people stories that you know you could see it in the consumer's eye. They would say, okay, you have salt on this. Can I get it on the Bullfrog? Because I like the jetpack. Well, no. As soon as you say that, their customer experience shifts on you and it's not what you want. And so that, that just went on to a point where I just thought to myself, these stories are not going to work like this. And then that's, I almost just got rid of Bullfrog. Uh, in, in fact, we had that meeting. Uh, and then the more I looked at what they did and traveled to their plant and saw where they were headed, 
I just thought, you know, probably the best thing for me to do is just move this out to its own thing and see what happens. Talk about seeing where they're going and what they're doing. I know from going to the shows and seeing their booths, all of the kind of cool things they offer to retailers to have on their on their show. They've got, you know, kind of the crazy stuff like virtual reality and they have the, the kiosks that you can design your own spa. And they kind of have all of these things that are really unique to them. Are those some of the things that attracted you to stick with them? I would say that was a huge part of it, you know, and they had years ago hired someone who had a background in Hollywood and basically a background in uh, production. And that person was rewriting their future, uh, you know, and he was the one putting together the software, the 3D stuff. And it was pretty much in its infancy at that time. So it was nothing they could give to a dealer. I was seeing something I had never seen before. And that was an interesting, you know, we always say think out of the box and all the manufacturers do that by getting the advice of maybe the automotive industry or something like that. And I think that's helpful, but I mean, they went way out of the box by hiring a classically trained film person from Pasadena to rethink how people see their product and how they experience their product. And so I just thought that may be worth investing in and seeing how that works out for the future here. One of the reasons why we wanted to feature you in the magazine was because you took a lot of those things that they had that you could see at the trade show and actually brought them into your store, which, you know, I haven't really seen any other retailers do. I mean, they're expensive and it's an investment. And so it was so it was really interesting and exciting to see someone actually kind of go all in and put that stuff on their floor and, and give it a try. That's right. I think they were very excited, obviously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and when we talked to you about it, one of the things you said was that for the article, one of the things you said was, you know, you really wanted to enhance the experience of customers in your store. Can you just kind of talk a little bit about what you wanted that to look like for your customers and kind of how you think you've achieved that in this new store? Both stores have that about them. And we spent almost $150,000 overhauling the store I'm in now with the hot spring to give that experience the same kind of thing. I'm at a limit of what I can do with the consumer with certain things I have. The Bullfrog for store was a bit different for me because I had already seen the virtual reality experience, the um, design studio wall, and I'd already seen um, the cutaway hot tub, all those things that were kind of in, let's just call it beta testing, or maybe even before that in their infancy. Mm -hmm. uh, but we were able to implement all that into the store. And I started thinking to myself, if what we have to keep people coming back to us is to make sure we appeal to all five senses and give them a wonderful experience, you know, because they can buy most of what we have on the internet. Then we really need to step up our game and try to be different and, and be memorable. And my thought was if they come through my store at Bullfrog and walk away, they're going to be telling everybody about the experience. Uh, they might even remember the name Bullfrog. They're going to say, you need to get out of that place beside that restaurant, because that's one of the coolest places I've ever seen. That kind of experience is what I wanted. And what I really thought was going to be interesting for the consumer is that when you walk into the store and look to the right, there's just a whole wall full of jetpacks. And that is an immediate subversion of their own expectations of what to what they're going to see in a spa store. And it creates a conversation right off the bat. And from there, it just naturally flows. And then you can take them right over to the cutaway tub. You can say, if you want to learn more, you can do virtual reality. Have you ever done that? Most people haven't. So in that six minutes, they get to fully learn the, uh, the story of Bullfrog. And as you take it from there, you have the touchscreen kiosk, which I'm sure you've seen at the shows that the newest version, I had the actual like homemade version and I have, I have the new iPhone looking one now, but when you show somebody to touch that screen, they keep interacting with it. And at some point they're continually owning the product piece by piece. Uh, and then once they get done realizing what all they can do there, they go over to the design wall and they can locate 
the corner of a spa onto the corner of a cabinet and start matching it up, you'll see the husband wife team uh, move back and say, I like the other better. And my point is you just need to get out of the way of the sales process and let them experience it themselves. And in doing so, they begin to take ownership at the end of it. There's nothing more to do, but just pick one out. And I just think that's very, a very neat approach to how we sell our product. Yeah, it's definitely unique. I think there, there have been some resistance to some of those things. It seems like when I've talked to other dealers because they feel that they're kind of, I don't know, gimmicky for lack of a better word, but when taken all together, you found it to be a good selling approach then. Yeah, I can see where the gimmickry comes from. It, it, there's certainly some competition that would even speak about the jetpacks as gimmicks. We've heard that. But even <laughs> the stuff you're talking about with the POP, I would just say this. It's really all about how you present it to someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to just say you have to do the VR. You want to make sure they're open to it. And you want to let them guide the process when you're doing the discovery. And you know, if it's good for them, it's good for them. We find that Almost every person that comes in has been open to experiencing some of those things. So in other words, you can't approach the customer as check out all of our gadgetry. You have to approach them like you would with anything through the discovery process, look, you know, discover their needs and talk about how what we have can help it and let those other things essentially become tools to help kind of educate them on the things that they need. And I think that in that way, we've never had one person say, anything about a gimmick. And I, I think that's been all about the way you present it, all about the way you train your salespeople to present it to consumers. You mentioned that you also had remodeled your existing store to kind of bring some of those experiences into that store as well. What were some of the things that you did in that store then? Yeah, so we've actually purchased almost every single thing that they have from the beautiful hot spring logo that lights up that's in our mood room. We have all of their, some of the, well, actually a bunch of their large, like eight foot by eight foot graphics. So the whole, and the the actual wall that when you first walk in is a, let's just say it's a 20 foot by 10 foot dry stack wall framed out with gorgeous wood that has the big hot spring logo that lights up. We're all in on purchasing everything of the POP they have because again, back to your thoughts about the experience that a consumer has, one, it needs to be merchandised and displayed nicely, but you have to tell the story. And, And we know that hot spring has a great story. So right in the middle of our floor is a 1986 hot spring classic. We like to start there and tell the story about the classic and how it's a lot of its features are still available today. And we tie that history to them. We kind of tour the store. But yeah, the POP from them, you want to make sure that people know you're a dealer, know you're there to support them. And so we, we do invest in all of the things that um, Hot Spring puts out there. So far, uh, they do have a kiosk for the Endless Pool. Uh, and so that there is at least that. Oh, okay. I didn't, yeah, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, so that that does help a bit, but I would I would hardly say it's is interactive, but uh, but the other stuff they have is just gorgeous stuff, and and our our showroom is beautiful because of it, and I think you have to go through and uh, you've got to tell the story of Hot Spring, and you got to sell what's important about the legacy of Hot Spring and all of those neat features that you find to differentiate the product, but that all goes in you know in conjunction with having a beautiful store where people feel like these people are serious about their product. If they don't think that, they're clearly not going to buy from you. I love that you have that old model on your floor. Where did you Where did you find that? It was a couple that actually bought it used over uh, 86. So how old are we there? 33 years? 96. Yeah, so 33 years. And they bought it one year used. And they came in looking, uh, asked us to fix it. He said, I have an 86 classic. He said, everything uh-huh. still works. It's just got a leak. And so... My salesman comes back knowing I was looking for this thing and says, they've got one. I go out and make them the sweetest deal they've ever seen to trade for <laughs> a, a, a Grandi. 
if they would let me tell their story. And so they had no furniture, but bought this tub used. Uh, after they just got married, they've been married 30 years, and that spa has been with them that long. And we just told, we tell that story to people. And we actually uh, talked to Watkins and got the old POP from 86. And it actually hangs to the left and right of the spa. And uh, on a lot of those things, we have our pricing. And so on that one, it says 86 classic, and it just says priceless. And people just get a chuckle out of that. And we, we tell them the story and we talk about the vertical filter. We talk about the no bypass filtration, the full foam, the innovation of the Revell, uh, you know, and, and the, the light and the moto massages, because that was right after it was patented. And when you connect somebody to a real story, we kind of do it this way. Have you ever wanted to yourself, I wish they made things like they used to. And our answer to that is, yeah, you know, look at this lineage and legacy of these neat features that still exist in today's spa. And so that's where we go with that. Do you ever run into any classics, Jeff, anymore in your market? Uh, every once in a yeah. while, they get picked up. That's for sure. We, we do see them come back. I would say a few a year, but yeah, they've been. Really? Yeah. Yes. And I've, I've often thought of that. And then I've just have so many spas that we're trying to get moving, but I, I haven't done it, but that's a, that's a great thing. Hey, I got a question for you, Dave. How far apart for those listening that are retailers, how far apart are your two stores? I would say no more than four miles or five miles. How often are they cross shopped, or is it less than you would? Is it less than you would think? Is it less than the average person would think? No, it's it's frequent. I did a little research here online. I mean, it's not like you're the only pool and spa guy there. Even with those two stores, you do have quite a other a few other competitors, huh? Well, you know, we have some interesting things here. We have the manufacturer, uh, Leisure Products Incorporated. I think they go under the name Aqua Living Factory Outlets at this point. They're actually about uh, six or seven miles from me and they sell to the public. They're in our market. So you would count them as a retailer because they have a retail operation inside the plant. And what a cool store. You get to go see the thing made and, you know, talk to the people there. And I, I think sure. that's neat. Then you have, we have a jacuzzi dealer that's been in business for a long time and, and they've had jacuzzi, I don't know how long, maybe 10 years. So they're a formidable competitor and they run a great business. And we have, uh, now we have the Caldera dealer uh, over in Kingsport in Bristol who are competitive with retail. So yeah, we have a good number, maybe I would say six people. And, and that was our thought that most people are going to shop three to four places before they buy. And part of my goal was to be two of them. Uh, and that, that was the whole premise behind opening that store. Do you have any unique ways you handle, again, you know, list, people listening to Sir Spa Retailers, how you handle people that go back and forth between the two stores? How, how do you keep the harmony going with the salespeople in both stores? Or, or did you long give up on that? <laughs> well, yeah, that, that may be true. Uh, there is some friendly competition between the people that, uh, you know, Megan and I have definitely talked about that. Each time we sell a spa, we actually text a video and we make kind of have a good time with it to each other. And ultimately, I think most people appreciate the organization itself and are quite happy about the fact that the company itself is doing well. I don't get much from customers. They tend to really appreciate that a 41-year-old company is supporting them after they purchase the new Bullfrog. So in other words, you know, it doesn't have Isaacs on anything. But once they realize we deliver and service it, it gives some more credibility to the process of buying it. We just find in general, if they like that spot there in the Bullfrog store, they just that's what they're going to get. And so we don't really find many people deciding one or the other. But we're definitely being shopped back and forth, and we're trying to have a good presence. And I also kind of model this on uh, maybe like a Darden's restaurant that has like an Olive Garden Longhorn. And you just start looking around. And so this goes back to that consumer experience. For me, 
what if I could provide people a different experience and maybe capture a little more market if I do that successfully? There's just something they're completely turned off. One person was turned off by a hot spring story, and it was interesting. She said, I will not buy one because they supported some cause. And I don't know what the cause was. You know, it's kind of when you're on the floor with somebody, you got to be a little care, be careful sure. with it. I'm like, you know, it had to be a dealer because hot spring is, is pretty uh, neutral in what they support. And so I didn't really want to probe that, but we had him on the floor at the time with the bullfrog. So we just went straight back and talked about them. It's very unusual that you get that because Hot Springs are a great company. But we also find that people that like bullfrog, it's, it's, it's really a niche kind of thing. If they, it's like, it's like kind of like your Tesla owners, um, you know, they're the best salespeople and the best promoters of that product. People that own bullfrogs are the best promoters of that product. And you will not, it's hard to find an unhappy bullfrog spa owner when they come in they're ecstatic about it. And they tell their friends, Hey, I got the one you can take the seat out of. Do you have anything like that? And you kind of get that thing going. So we find generally when they come in to look for one, they're going to buy it and they were not going to buy anything else, but they do shop both stores. And generally they find out we are both of them. Uh, and I think they actually appreciate that given the fact that they'll have a ton of support from us. So you've centralized like your delivery and your service and all of that. That's all coming out of the Isaac's location. So the Bullfrog store is just this just kind of like a sales arm then. That's exactly right. And effectively, this showroom floor where Hot Spring is too. It just happens to be housed in the same building. Mm. So, you know, so when you actually go, come to my store, you have people that will help you with the pool retail side. You'll have a salesperson help you with a hot tub. Uh, but when you call back for service, it's the whole back half of the building. Our crew that's doing the deliveries and the service people are back here. But it, it, it really is an Isaac's operation with a hot spring retail store and a bullfrog retail store. Um, that, that's kind of what it looks like. But it, um, it can be conflated because, you know, we're in the same building here. Are you guys still doing pool construction and, and all of that? Or have you kind of moved away from that? We quit doing it in the spring. Uh, so we only build from July to December. We do about 10 a year. So we are still doing it. What is kind of the breakdown for your company as far as your revenue categories? Are pools and hot tubs about the same? Has hot tubs overtaken pools or kind of how is that shaken out for you at this point? Yeah. So, you know, kind of the goal was to sell more hot tubs and it wasn't until 2018 where that actually happened. A little over a third of our business became the revenue, a third of the revenue, maybe 35% of that would have been hot tubs. Uh, and coming just under that would have been construction, which would have been new pools and remodels. And then the last roughly third of that would have been a mix between service and retail uh, at 15% each roughly. They were almost even in the amount of revenue they brought in. But the hot tubs were the big winner. And it's interesting, this year I've seen a slower year. So I believe that construction this year may outpace uh, the hot tubs, which is something I'm not terribly happy about. So we'll revisit that. Uh, but that's where I'm at right now. But last year it outpaced construction by at least 400000 And that's pretty significant for a construction company. Yeah, for sure. Well, and you know, it's interesting... Um... You know, in the industry, you've got hot tub only retailers, you have pool builders who also sell hot tubs. And it seems like a lot of times the hot, in that situation, the hot tubs sort of are the kind of the ugly stepchild a little bit. They don't get a whole lot of attention. They do it a little bit in the off season, but it's not something that they um, put a lot of focus on. But you've definitely taken, a, you know, a completely different approach to it. And it sounds like you really want hot tubs to be kind of your, your big thing going forward. Yeah, that's right. You know, and I can tell you that manufacturers do not like it whenever 
they are a major player in the game and your hot tubs are just kind of the secondary thing you do. And that was another epiphany I had coming through the industry is that if you're a pool company, you have hot tubs. I've been learning that there are a lot of very successful people selling hot tubs that aren't pool people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they're outdoor people, maybe like they do outdoor creations, backyard patios, or uh, maybe they're actually um, an actual hardware store that just has a great way to sell hot tubs. So it really dawned on me that, you know, we are, we have to be very careful not to do a disservice to the manufacturers who commit their product to us. Uh, and it's very easy, as you all know, in the pool industry, you know, to get busy in the spring if you're seasonal and kind of take your foot off the gas for the hot tubs. And the only way we were able to fix that was to put a full-time salesperson on the floor and uh, to have people who can do the construction so that I could effectively manage it and stay committed to the process of selling spas all year. And we find that we don't have like a big spa selling season. It stayed fairly consistent month to month. You're right. And I think I think that we had that epiphany. We couldn't just put them on the floor just because we're a pool store and you have to have hot tubs. We need to give a commitment to Hot Spring uh, or to Bullfrog, you know, to sell their product given that they had entrusted us with the dealership. So we stay pretty committed to it. We, we have a lot of room to grow, Megan, by all means, but um, we, we give it our best. Time for a break to hear from our sponsor. When we come back, I'll ask David the Spa Retailer 10. Marquis Micro Silk Beauty Treatment moisturizes and hydrates at the same time. Micro bubbles envelop your body in a soothing, effervescent cloud of oxygen, diving deeply into pores to restore collagen. Micro Silk leaves your skin silky with reduced fine lines and wrinkles. A Micro Silk bubble is negatively charged, approximately 50 to 100 times smaller than a typical hot tub bubble. Negatively charged ions are credited with increased serotonin production, which is associated with emotional stability, a sense of well-being, and promotes restful sleep. Microsilk is available on signature line models Spirit, Promise, Resort, Euphoria, Epic, and all Vector 21 hot tub models. I gotta say personally, this is one of the more fascinating hot tub features that's currently on the market. The older I get, it seems the more beauty products I buy that promise to do all of these things for my skin. I have never tried it, but give me a snorkel and I am all in on Microsilk. For more information, visit MarquiseBaz.com. We, ha- we lost Jeff due to some technical issues, but we are going to, I'm going to go ahead and ask David the uh, Spa Retailer 10. So David, to start us off, what is your favorite vacation spot? This one's easy. Grand Cayman, Seven Mile Beach. Nice. Do you go there every year? Well, you know, fortunately, a couple years ago, Hot Spring went. So we got to go there with them, and that was a great trip. And then I've been there with a few other dealers of different products. And so... Um, it's, it's just one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. On my own, if I had a place to pick, it's exactly where I'd go. I wonder if you and Jeff were there at the same time and you're just, your paths just happened to not cross since he is also a hot spring dealer. It very well could have been. <laughs> I think that was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Very, yeah. very, very good trip. Hot spring treated us uh, unbelievably well. How about a favorite restaurant? Or we we also expand this to favorite food if you can't pick, you know, just one well, <laughs> restaurant. I have, I have a local one here that people could look up, but it's Gourmet and Company. Been around a long time here, and they have really interesting steak dishes with uh, local grown vegetables. So it depends on the time of year, but very good place. That's nice. Is it one of those places that changes their menu, you know, every week or every month, depending on what's in season? That's exactly right. You They, they get what can be grown. Uh, and so it's just really interesting. That's fun. I love those kinds of places. Yeah. 
How about a favorite book or television show or podcast? I don't know. It depends on our interviewee, whether they are more of a reader or a watcher or a listener. (laughs) Well, you know, this was interesting for me because I have an entire library at home. As you know, you know, moving through school like I did, I don't know how many thousands of books I've read, you know, forced to read. (laughs) I don't don't know how you look at it. But I do have one that I thought has been good in business for me. It's it's a very well-known book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And then when it comes to the TV, I really like Frasier and Seinfeld are two really good shows I always enjoyed uh, and watch them now in reruns. But here's the, the third part of the thing. I have never listened to a podcast, and so I've jumped right in by listening to one by being in one, so this has been fun. That's so funny. I mean, you're in good company because uh, Jeff has also never listened to a podcast. I'm probably including this one, so. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Who would you say is, was, or is your mentor, either in life or, or business or both? I have to say my parents, looking at direct people who had influences on me. This is an interesting question for me too, because two of the most influential things for my life have been really more institutional. Institutional, uh, And I would have to say that as a mentor, it, it's really hard to say uh, otherwise that Hotspring does a great job helping um, help building up your business and your the, the dealership. And I, I, I'd have to say a lot of what I've learned uh, has been from them about how you sell and how you approach customers. And they're really good about putting on the trainings about how to manage managers with the uh, Welsh group. Uh, and so I've learned a ton there. The other institution is the um, the Gemini Effect, and that's a group in which I'm involved. It's uh, all hot spring dealers. I would say a lot of this was happening around 2016. So if you think about a mentor or somebody that's really guiding you through the process, those are two quote-unquote institutionalized versions of a mentor. And then, of course, my parents, you know, when you think about the legacy of our company, it comes down to simple things like hard work, honesty, do a job right. Those things still drive our culture and our company. And all of those were certainly instilled in me by my parents. Yeah. Well, it's it's too bad that we lost Jeff for the end of this uh, episode because he's also a, mem- a Gemini member. You guys must be in different working groups since your paths haven't crossed because he's he probably talks about Gemini uh, in every single episode it comes up. Well, yeah, he would be in the hot tub only. And then I'm in the uh, hot tub. So my, my group is the hot tub slash pool builder. And we do compare some of the averages with them. And so they always outperform uh, <laughs> Because they really have to sell spas. You know, it goes back to your point about hot tub dealers who are pool builders kind of not putting, you know, all of the emphasis and efforts towards the hot tubs. Megan, one of the interesting things we find between the two groups is they almost always have double the population served. And so we we find that to be an interesting dynamic between our two groups. Interesting. Yeah, that is an interesting uh, statistic, I guess you could call it. That's right. Well, if you think about you know his area near Philadelphia, if you think about Atlanta, some some of these other dealers are from him, we're talking about millions, uh, where most people in our group don't see that amount of people in their in their essentially where Hot Spring gives you your your territory, so to speak. Yeah. And so, but yeah, he's in that group. I'm in the other, and um, I, that was a game changer for me. Also, even though they trained us well with Caldera, it was a huge shift when we went to Hot Spring. You know, going and visiting their sales trainer who's amazing and their whole outfit just really know how to sell and help you run a business. And so I, I just give a ton of credit to listening to them, doing what they tell me to do. And our business has forever been changed because of those particular institutions. And obviously it's been sustained and it's still what it is because of my parents. Yeah. That is something you hear from a lot of hot spring dealers or in, 
even even if you don't necessarily hear it from them, what I've observed kind of watching the industry from afar is, you know, Hot Spring does seem to do a very good job of training their dealers and and, help, and being a partner with them in, in business and not just, you know, selling them hot tubs, but really teaching you how to run a hot tub business. That's exactly right. They're, they're incredible with that. Best I've ever seen. So what was your first real job? Has, has it always been at the, at the business with your parents or did you well, have another job? I guess we have to define real. So <laughs> my definition of real is where I got a paycheck with taxes deducted. Yes, that, that's how I would define it also. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say that that was a company called HFS. And what I did there was take reservations for days in. So that was the first, what I would call real job. But really? I have worked, yeah, I have worked in the pool business my whole life. And so sure. technically for me, that's the most real I, I did this job while in college at night, and I actually still worked for my dad during the day, went to school, and then did this at night from 6 to 11 to have a little extra money. But that was what I consider my first real job that had taxes taken out. Yeah. Actually, before that, I actually worked at a barbecue place on Saturdays uh, while I was in high school, bussing tables for gas money. So maybe that's See, one of them. There you go. Yeah, I think that counts as a, I think that counts as a real job for sure. It, it felt <laughs> like it on Saturday morning at 9, you know, whenever you're in high school, that's pretty early after playing basketball on Friday nights and going to bed at 12. Yeah. Do you remember your first sale? I mean, and this is kind of different for different people, depending on kind of your point of entry to the industry. But but yeah, what do you remember about that first about that first sale that you ever got? Well, you know, the first there's a couple answers that as the pool as the pool side, when my dad passed away, I, he, he did the selling. So I remember that one distinctly. I won't talk about it, but that one was that one sticks in my mind without having to go back with any research. Sure. So on the hot tub side, I marked this back to when we, we when we became a real dealer of hot tubs, and that was when we had Caldera. So we took everything off the floor, put a truckload of Calderas on the floor, I think 12 or 14 Calderas, and the first one we sold was on 831.12 to a couple, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Biggs, and it was a Caldera Kauai. And I just remember that one specifically because I delivered it. I remember my, my transmission overheating, trying to take this thing over the mountains, North Carolina, really <laughs> close to where uh, Jeff was talking about visiting. And so that's where we delivered that spot. It's interesting that he said that. It was not too far from Baker's, um, uh, Bakersville where, where he said he went. Yeah. And uh, I remember trying to get that first spa dealer. I did not have a spa dolly. All we had was a, 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 a Honda, uh, the passport, not the passport, but the, the truck version. I remember hooking the trailer up and putting the Kauai on it and driving over that mountain. And uh, I just remember every part of that. And I, that was, um, that's a fond memory. So that was uh, eight thirty one twelve is what, seven, maybe seven, a little over seven years ago. So it's that's, not been that long. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. It's, and Jeff suggested that question. I never would have thought to ask somebody what their first sale was, but um, but it's interesting because everyone has a story about that first sale, something that sticks out to them as unusual or difficult or they didn't know or just exciting. And so it's kind of been fun to hear what people have just, you know, the people's answer to that. Well, it, it, that is very true because, you know, we made a huge commitment. That's why I market back to becoming a Caldera dealer. Because that was a commitment to a truckload of spas, not one at a time from, sure. a, from, a, from a distributor. And you're like, my God, I've put all this money into you know $75,000 worth of hot tubs. And I've, I've put all this on the floor and I've purchased all this POP and I'm overwhelmed. But then when the first one goes, that he's right about that. That really was the you know the first step into then one, two, three after that. And I just, that was a great moment. Yeah. I mean, so you, our next question, you know, if you weren't doing this, what would you do? You, you already answered that earlier. You, you said you would be a teacher. Exactly. The very easy. And still you think, 
you think a, a professor, so college age, is that what you would be doing? Yeah, I actually taught all the way up to about three years ago, adjuncting. I teach writing, uh, religion, philosophy, and I do it as an adjunct at the local community college, and we have a liberal arts college here called Milligan. And so I still have all my connections there. I would prefer to go full-time. I've, I've also since picked up my master's in business administration, so I can actually teach those classes too. And I also went and got my um, license to teach the certified pool operator course. Oh, okay. Great. And so I did that maybe five or six years ago so I could certify my own people. And, I, sure. and there's not one within a couple hundred miles of us. So I do classes here. I enjoy the teaching part of it. We, In fact, we even have, and I may have written this in, or dealt with one of the articles, but we have a second Saturday spa school. So every second Saturday before we open the store, you know, we actually do a class. And I got that from a really good dealer up in... Um, South Dakota combined pools and spas. That's something that they oh, do. Oh, sure. Yeah. Tom, Tom has also been on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, Tom, those are, those are just great people. Going back to the Gemini group, it's not just the group, it's the people you meet. They change your life. They change your business. And I, I owe a massive debt of gratitude to everybody that's in that group. Uh, and, I, and, and they know this. I've actually emailed it to them. <laughs> And so, yeah, but, but being a teacher, it's just in me to do that. And we actually, uh, you've seen our water bar area with the TVs behind it. We're able to put a PowerPoint up there and make it look like a full professional college classroom. And so when people come in, they're shocked at the level, you know, of the education at a pool store, uh, so to speak. Uh, and we do that just for hot tubs. And uh, we usually have about 10 to 12 students. If you look at our Facebook, you'll actually see where we post those. And we, we actually developed a full curriculum and everything around it. So if, yeah, if I quit this right now, Teaching is numero uno on my list, but there's many other things I may try to pursue, but that won't be the first one. Do you find that as a business owner, you know, you talk about teaching your customers, do, do you feel like you're sort of teaching and educating your employees on a daily basis too? There are running jokes around here that I'll come around with some kind of vocabulary word, <laughs> uh, maybe maybe an SAT or ACT word as it were, and uh, and they, they've all come to be grow fond of that, you know, because it's expanded their vocabulary, but we are all in it together to spend every one of our days learning more and being hungry for knowledge. That is definitely something you would see in the culture here. If you come here, uh, that we, we impress upon everybody here to learn. And I want to be an example of it, you know, which is why I went back to get my MBA, which is why I go to classes because none of us have all the answers. And collectively, if we can seek it all out, I think we're much better off for it. What would you say is, maybe the worst idea or product or biggest flop you've ever had in your in your store or business so far? It's funny, Megan, when I read that question, I immediately thought inflatable paddle boards. Oh. And I don't know if you know when you're a pool business, Pool Corp, uh, who is uh, South Central Pools and a few other the superior pools, when you go to their um, retail summit in January, if you're invited to it, they put on a, a great show. I've really been to do. that show a couple, several times, actually. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's absolutely. Incredible. Yeah, it really is. Uh, but, they do a great but they job. Always have, they always have little things like this, and they kind of get you pumped up about it. I think at the time my mom had went there, and so she came back and said, we got to get the inflatable paddle boards. It's really cool. When you blow them up, they actually are rigid, and they're awesome. And so we invent, I don't know, 10 or 12 of those things, and we ended up having to give them all away. We got them to take a few of them back. It, we are not a paddleboard store. And it's part of the evolution of learning how to be a retailer and knowing what you can sell and what you can't, what makes sense, what, it do, what does, and where you can be profitable not. As far as I'm concerned, that was just the, the immediate. I mean, there are many others because we are certainly not perfect. But that one stuck out in my mind because we couldn't give them away. Oh, that's so funny. So, yeah, I yeah. guess I guess I wouldn't. Um, I guess the person looking for a, a paddleboard 
uh, maybe wouldn't think of a pool and spa store to, to get it from. <laughs> I learned that very quickly. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Who would have, who would have thought? I mean, do you guys yeah. have a lot of like lakes and I don't know how close you are to, you know, the ocean. Do you, is, are you in an area where people would have access to water to paddleboard? You know, that's a great question. You can walk out our back door across a small street and throw a rock in one of the most popular lakes here. Called oh, okay. Lake. okay. The only problem, Megan, is that lake, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, some dams end up having issues where water can run under them through like fractures in the earth. Oh. Uh, and we've actually got that going on here. So they've had the, the, the lake actually drain because we're controlled by TVA dams here, the Tennessee Valley Authority. So it's interesting you say that. We're right beside a lake. The traffic Anybody going to the lake drives by our store, so that, that was part of the, part of the reasoning. Yeah, sure. However, however, the lake has not been up, so <laughs> I think even at that time, it will not be completed until twenty. I think twenty two at a cost of five hundred million. Oh my goodness! Wow. And you hear you hear that, and there's actually other places in the country where they 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 effectively pump grout down into all these things, and it's just really interesting to hear it. But yeah, we're right on most popular lakes. So we even thought about bringing the big Bertha that you pull behind a boat and putting it out sure. on the road. Because we are on one of the busiest roads here. I just find we're not in that business. Stay out of it. Do what we do. Sell what we know we can sell. And so we are not going to be doing that stuff. Okay. <laughs> so uh, conversely, what would you say is maybe the the best idea or product or biggest game changer you've ever made in your business? Moving the business from Elizabeth and the Johnson City, hands down, made every bit of the difference. And from there, it was connecting up with great vendors like Bullfrog and Hot Spring. Uh, but if had we not come here, they would never even have given us a second look because our other location was not a retail location. Right. So getting here, I think, had to be the first step in it. Did you sell that other location or do you still have that property as like storage or warehousing? No, it's just two buildings that are now sold. Okay, okay. What is the scariest leap of faith you've ever taken, either in your business or your personal life? I mean, they can be pretty intertwined. So It's definitely moving the business from... Elizabeth and the Johnson City, because it's the same answer for both, because yeah. that was huge, because we are small timers. And so when we committed to the building, we had the other two buildings sold. We moved over here. The buyer of the other two buildings backed out, left me with three mortgages in December. Oh, no. And we just about lost everything we had. And the owner of this building was gracious enough to allow us to lease to own. And so for two years, we did that while I secured, and while, while the other buildings were rental buildings, they, I ended up almost losing everything I had because I couldn't pay the payments. We worked very hard, got them paid. It, it kind of hurt my credit. Credit come back two years later. <laughs> um, we were able to secure the loan for this building. So when I say the leap of faith, it was huge. And there was a real price for those two years paid for that leap. And I'm talking about some of the hardest times of my life, thinking about losing everything, including my home. Yeah. Um, because I'm thinking, did I make the right decision? Did I really execute this right? It's really on me because I did it. I knew that we were going to come out of the recession. I knew this was a good investment. So I was able to, you know, take some money on my house. My mom did the same thing. We kept it going. And ultimately, that was a huge leap of faith. It was not easy for us. It was probably the biggest sacrifice of anything I can think of looking back. And so it was the game changer, but it was also the biggest um, and scariest leap of faith. Oh man. I mean, that just gives me heart palpitations thinking about it. I'm so glad that we asked people to share those stories because I think 
most business owners will find themselves in that situation and maybe not to that, you know, extreme, but I think everyone finds themselves in that situation at some point where they really, they really get some skin in the game and it's scary and they, you're at risk to lose everything and it's, and it's terrifying. And so I think it's so good to talk about that. And it's like, you've come to the other side of that. Maybe there's someone out there who's in the middle of that. And it's like, you can make it through. There is another, there is another side and maybe their side is failure, but that sometimes that's not the worst thing either. No, that's right. Well, thank you so much for being on with us. And I'm sorry, we had some technical issues, but I appreciate you hanging in there with us and, and doing this and being a good friend of the magazine and offering up your comments and, and thoughts when, when we call. So I really appreciate that. I appreciate you calling at uh, any time. We'll be there to help any way you ask. Well, thank you so much. And thank you everyone out there for listening to the podcast. We are going to take a little break for Thanksgiving. And so we're going to, we're going to skip a couple of weeks before we come back, but thank you so much for listening. The Spa Retailer Podcast is produced by Spa Retailer Magazine. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SpaRetailer.com, and the Spa Retailer app. Please leave us a review and let us know what you think or email us at podcast at sparetailer.com.